You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Good morning, Mill Creek. Thanks for braving the weather to come out here. I'm Caleb Johnson, and I'll be reading this morning's scripture passage, which is Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 19. If you're using the Bibles on the chair back in front of you, it's on page 6. Genesis 12, 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go to your country and your kindred, your father's house, to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. So Abraham went, and the Lord had, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Then Abraham journeyed and still going towards the Negev. Please pray with me. Lord, as we begin a new year, please help us to remember our true purpose in life and what you have called us to do. Um, Guide Jonathan today as he preaches your word. Please open our hearts to what you want us to hear and give Jonathan the words to make your message clear to us. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was 17, I remember sitting in the office of my high school guidance counselor, and she asked me a question. Where do you see yourself in five years? Difficult question for a 17-year-old. And I thought I had some idea of what, where I saw myself in five years, but for me, that question caused a deep existential crisis. I remember walking away and thinking to myself, well, what do I want with my life? What are my desires and and where do I see myself going? And I reflected on that question for days and days and even weeks thinking about where will I be in five years? And after much contemplation, I came to the conclusion, well, I don't know. I mean, what what 17-year-old does know the answer to that question? I'm guessing there's probably a few out there who have a very clear vision of where they're going and what they're going to do, but that wasn't me, and I'm guessing that's not most of us. In fact, I don't even think that's just 17-year-olds. I think that's a common thing that affects all of our lives. But we live in a culture where there's this pressure to get your life figured out. Get a plan in place. Figure out where you're going, what you're going to do, and how you're going to get there. And it's not a bad thing to have a a plan and to understand your purpose, but there's so many different metrics to how we figure that out. 
Well, what makes you happy? What are you good at? What can make you a lot of money? There's so many different ways to look at that question. And unfortunately, I think we often approach calling in the church in a similar direction. We have all these different metrics of understanding where and and how God is calling us that I think there's a lot of confusion around that term of calling. Well, what is God calling you to do? Is he calling you to take a new job, to attend a different school, to get your life figured out? Where is God sending me? It could be rather confusing. But I think as we look at the scripture and we see consistently through the Bible, there's actually one aspect of calling that's very clearly in scripture. And that's what we're going to discuss this morning. And in order to take a look at calling, we will be back in the book of Genesis. If you don't remember, uh, almost a year ago, we made it through the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. Uh, We covered from Genesis 1 all the way to Genesis 11 before taking a break to go through the book of Romans. Quite a long break. So I'm sure, like me, you guys recap. If you'll remember back to Genesis 1 and 2, we see the account of creation. In Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke and all things came into being. And then as we hop over to Genesis 2, we zero in on the creation of humanity. We see God create Adam and Eve and crown them with dominion over the earth. But then when we step forward to Genesis 3, we see a major shift. See, at the end of God's creation, everything was good and perfect. But then Adam and Eve disobeyed God when they were tempted by the serpent, and they sinned, and then sin and death spread through the world. From there, all the way through chapter 6, we see sin and death spreading throughout the world until it culminated with God spreading a global flood over the whole earth. And from chapters 6 to 9, we see God delivering one family, the family of Noah, through the flood and protecting them. After the flood, Noah was commanded to go out with his family and repopulate and fill the earth. But by the time we get to Genesis chapter 12, we find that the world once again disobeyed God. And rather than spreading out, they collected in one place. And they built this tower to heaven in a city called Babel. And then God came down and confused their language and dispersed them over the face of the earth. And that's basically the major high points that we see so far in the book of Genesis. But there's also a theme running through the book. You see, in Genesis 3, after the fall, after sin entered into the world, God made a promise. God promised that he would rise up an offspring from the woman who would come and crush the head of the tempting serpent and basically putting an end to sin and death. So throughout the book of Genesis, while we see these high points, we're also following a family line from one generation to another. We're following a single son tracing down, waiting for that promise to be fulfilled. And that brings us this morning to the story of Abram. Our passage this morning is in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, where we'll be taking a look at the call of Abram. And this morning, we'll discuss two points concerning Abraham's call and how calling relates to the Christian life. 
So if you will, please open up your Bibles to Genesis 12, chapter 12, verses 1 to 9. And our first point this morning is that God calls Abram. Now it says here in verses 1 and 3, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of all the earth shall be blessed. Now, as we open up Abram's story, we see that God speaks. Now, we don't know how God speaks to Abram, but what's clear here is that this is a monumentous moment in human history. You see, every time God speaks in Genesis, it's a callback to creation. When God spoke into nothingness and things came out into creation over all the earth. And so the same voice that's speaking here is the same voice that called out creation. The same voice that called Abram is the same voice that called things out of nothing. So we see a parallel here. Just like creation was called out of nothing we see Abram being called out of obscurity. You see, Abram is not a famous figure at this point. In fact, he's kind of a a nothing. You see, other than a genealogical line, we know nothing of Abram. He's not a great king or come from a great family or a great nation. In fact, we find in chapter 11 that Abram is a 75-year-old man And he's married to a woman who is barren, and they have no children. So relatively, from a human perspective, Abram is a meaningless person. He doesn't have the things that would ground him in purpose, in meaning, in the world. But God is calling. And we see in Genesis, when God calls, things come into creation. So in a sense, what we have here is a new creation. God is moving the story forward, and he's creating a new thing in Abram. Yet, even with these similarities, we see a difference in Abram's calling. You see, in the beginning, in Genesis 1, when God spoke, things instantly and immediately followed God's perfect will. God said, and things happened. But here in Abram's story, we don't expect immediate response. In fact, the calling that that God puts on Abraham's life must necessarily be fulfilled over a long period of time. And so we're looking more down the line than things coming into being instantaneously. And so as we examine this calling, we're starting to see a foundation of how God does and will continue to speak to his people and call his people in the future. So I want to point out a few elements of this calling that are not only evident in Abram's story, but are also evident in our callings. And the first element we see here is a commandment. God commands Abram. And with this calling, there's an expectation of obedience. God says, and he expects a response. Now, that's completely different than the Genesis 1 account. You see, in Genesis 1, God didn't command creation into being. God simply created You wouldn't say that a carpenter commanded a wall into being. 
No, he places up wood and and drywall according to his purpose. In the same way, God brought the world into creation. God created. And while carpenters use their hands and tools, God creates with the sound of his voice. But here in our text, God is gracious enough to give Abram a commandment. And though we may not think of commandments as being gracious, when a God can speak things into being, when God can speak and things happen, when God's commands, it is gracious because he's allowing for Abram to make a response. And the command that we have here for Abram is to go, to go and, and leave behind his country and his kindred and his father's house. And so for Abram to be obedient to this calling, he has to leave his old life behind. Everything he known and everything that he is, he has to hand away in order to follow God's commandment. And this is a pretty big ask in the ancient world. You see, land and family, they were everything. You see, what your father passed down to you, the land was associated with your identity and even your wealth. You see, for Abram to give up his land and his home and his kindred, it's the essence of his old life dying and a new life beginning. He is commanded to leave what he has to accept what God has to offer. This is a huge ask. God is commanding him to go, but also to leave. But with this is an even greater act of grace. The second element we see here is that God provides an invitation. You see, in commanding Abram to go, God is also inviting Abram to be a part of all that he's doing. You see, God is calling him to go to the land that I will show you. And what he's asking here is for an even deeper thing than obedience can provide. You see, children, they can obey their parents without ever believing it's the best thing for their life. I can obey the law without ever believing it's the right thing to do. Sometimes I follow the speed limit when I don't actually want to. But what God is asking for here is trust. He's saying, I want you to trust me, to come with me, to walk with me, trust me, put your life into my hands. That's a much deeper level of commitment that obedience has to offer. And here we see God's grace on display. The God who we see as spoke things into creation is now stooping down to offer Abram a hand of invitation. He's saying, come with me. And what we're talking about here is God providing a personal relationship. You see, God says, go to the land that I will show you. He's saying, I will make of you a great nation. He's saying, I will bless those who bless you. You hear that word? That personal pronoun over and over and over again. God is saying, I am going to do this for you. God is saying, come with me. Let me show you. God is saying, come into my plans and my purpose, and I will be with you. God is inviting Abram into a personal 
relationship. And he's promising to go with him. And that's our final element of Abram's calling. God is giving Abram a a promise. As we walk through this text here, these first two uh, verses, promise is the most prominent place in the text. God is promising a lot here. You see, not only is God uh, saying that he's going to affect Abram's life, God's going to affect the life of his children by making them a great nation. And not only the lives of his children and his future generation, God is going to use Abram to affect all the families of all the earth. You see, this isn't just a problem for Abram. This is a promise, a global promise for all the peoples of all the earth. This promise is huge. And wrapped up in this idea of promise here is a word we see over and over and over again. Kids, do you guys see that there in the text? Five times God uses a word here. Do you see it? It's the word blessing. Blessing, bless, blessed, over and over again. God says, I will bless you. To put that in perspective, in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, God uses that word five times. Same number of times he uses it right here in our text. You see, this is a callback to creation. In the same way that God created the world and blessed the world and then gave a blessing on humanity, Adam and Eve, to go out and fill the earth, God is now putting his blessing and favor on Abram. He's saying, I am choosing you out of all the nations, of all the people, of all the earth, to take my favor, to take my personal deep commitment. I am calling you. And as God calls Abram, it's how God is going to put favor on the nation of Israel who will come down the line many generations later. And it's how God will place his favor on all the peoples of all the earth. See, Abram's calling didn't just affect Abram. It affected Israel. It affected you. It affects me. It affects all of us. God is giving us a promise. The question is, will God be faithful to his promise? You see, that's the question that Abram had to ask himself. Will God be faithful to his promise? You see, as we've seen, Abram is an old man. He's 75 years old. He has no children, so a nation kind of seems like it's out of the picture. In fact, he's an obscure picture. So who's to say that this God will be faithful to his promises? Now, for us, we have to remember that we're living in a world of of multiple gods, a polytheistic culture. There are gods all over the place. Who is to say that this God is any greater than the gods of the rest of the nations? Do we believe this God? And it's not only will God fulfill his promise, but can God fulfill his promise? Obviously, by a human standard, Abram is disqualified from fulfilling these promises. He's 75 years old. 
His wife is barren. He doesn't meet the qualifications. That's the question we have to answer. Can God, will God be faithful to his promise? You see, this promise would track down through the generations. And Israel, as they were escaping Egypt, would ask the same question. Will God be faithful to that promise? So you see, for them, as they were out in the wilderness receiving the word of God, receiving the law, they too were asking that question. Will God make us a great nation? And as they heard the law read, they would have been familiar with those blessings and cursings associated with their people and realizing that that promise that they gave to Abram was still alive and well in their day. Because just like Abram, God called Israel. But not just Israel. You see, God is calling you. God is calling you to step out of your old life and into a new life. God is calling you out of darkness and into marvelous light. God is calling you today through his son, Jesus Christ. And he's asking you, to lay down your life and pick up the life of Jesus. And with that calling, just like Abram, we also have a promise. Because Jesus didn't just ask us to go and follow. Jesus promised us eternal life. Will he be faithful to his promise? Can he be faithful to his promise? See, just like Abram, who was called, we have to answer that question. Will God be faithful? As we see here in our text, when God calls, God expects a response. And that brings us to our second point here this morning. Abraham responds to God. Now, as we see that Abram has to either obey God's command or deny God's command. And that's how calling works. When God calls us, he doesn't give us a third option. Either we follow God or we don't follow God. Either Abram goes and believes God or he stays and he denies God. And as we see in our text, Abram, as he hears this calling, Abram responds. And here's what we see in verses four to six. So Abram went. As the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. So as we look here at Abram's response, just like we saw three aspects of calling, we're going to see three aspects of Abram's response to God. And the first aspect we see here is that Abram responded to God with obedience. Now verse 4 makes clear that when God called him to go, Abram went. And as you'll see up there in the map, Abram journeyed down from Haran through the land of the Canaanites before stopping in the city of Shechem. 
And this was a massive journey. This isn't just a journey across town. This is close to a thousand mile walk, trek southward to the land of Canaanites. That's a huge commitment. Abram is not just leaving behind his family. He is uh, placing a thousand-mile gap between himself and his family and his kindred. What that means is there's probably no going back for Abram. He is leaving behind all that he has to offer. Now, some have speculated whether God really was asking Abram to bring Lot with him or not. Now, we saw in verse 1 that God specifically called him to leave his kindred to go to the land of the Canaanites. And while I think there's a good case to think that maybe he should have left Lot behind, what we have to realize is that this story here is not about disobedience. We'll get to that part later in Abram's story. What's here is we're seeing that Abram is very clearly making a step of faith. Abram is leaving behind the comfort and the safety of his people and not even really knowing where he's going. See, God said, go to the land, I will show you. He didn't give him a map or a final destination. He didn't give him a game plan of every step on the, uh, on the road. He just said, go. Abraham had, Abram had no idea of whether, where he was going and whether this land was going to be safe or not. Who's to say that he wasn't going to live amongst warring peoples? Who's to say that the land he was going to end up at was even going to be inhabitable? Who's going to say that the land that he was going was even going to be able to provide for his family? See, this is a huge step of obedience. Despite the logic behind his situation, despite the way things look, Abram went, he followed He obeyed. Obedience should be our response to God's calling. When God says it doesn't matter what our situation looks like, it doesn't matter if we got all the details figured out, it doesn't matter if things make sense in our own minds. When God asks, he expects a response, and we should respond in obedience. As we see as Abram responds in obedience, we also see that Abram responded to God with trust. Our second aspect is that Abram responded to God with trust. We see that here in verses 7 through 9 as we continue forward. It says that then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east to Bethel, and pinched his tent, with Bethel on his west and Ai on his east. And there he built an altar to the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. And April journeyed on still there, going towards the Negev. Now, what we see here is that as Abram came to Shechem, God met him of, at the oak of, of Mori. Now, again, we have another one of these strange encounters that we don't really know how to explain. God appeared to Abram. Now, we know that no one's ever truly set their eyes on the uh, physical appearance of God, but we do know that God appeared to him in some way. 
And we can speculate wildly of what that looked like. Maybe this was God coming down in a whirlwind or, or veiled by smoke the way he did in the Exodus. But what is clear is that God stood before Abram. And in this encounter, God gave him another explanation of his promise. He says, this land I will give to your offspring. Now, we need to understand this in the right context. You see, God isn't giving Abram a new promise, but God is clarifying his promise. He's saying, this is what I always intended for you. See, what I said back in verses 1 and 2, this land I will show you, I always intend to give you. And a lot of times that's the way walking in God's calling looks like. You see, we don't get the full picture right off the bat. God is asking us to trust him, to walk in that trust, to go where he is showing us. And then he brings us understanding. And as we're called deeper into God's trust, and deeper into God's trust, we start to understand more and more and more. See, God is not intending us Uh, intending to cover our eyes or or keep things hidden from us, but God is intending us to grow our trust in Him. God is calling us deeper. And for Abram, clearly, we see that he trusted God and that he walked away from everything he owned to follow this calling. But even deeper here, we see Abram building up these altars as another sign of his trust of God. And it's kind of difficult to understand what these altars were. In fact, we don't really know what the purpose of. Maybe we should have understood it the way the Israelites would have, that these were places of sacrifice. Or maybe this is a more ancient form where these are just monuments set up to remember a moment. But whatever this was intended for, what is clear that this is a sign of a religious devotion. What Abram is saying is, God, I trust you, and I'm setting up this altar as a sign of my trust, that you are my God, that I am with this God, not the God of all these people. I am trusting in you. This is a sign of his trust. He is leaning into God's promises. He is leaning in and committing deeper to the Lord. He's saying, this altar is a sign that you are my God. Calling expects a response of trust. You see, if if God can call out the galaxies into formation, if God can form our world with the sound of his voice, certainly God can fulfill his promises. Certainly, God is trustworthy. If he can take a man like Abram and shape him into a great nation, certainly God is trustworthy in your life, even when the situation doesn't appear like it's likely. When God promises, God does what he promises, and God can be trusted. But for us to trust God, it takes the final aspect, the final element of Abram's response to God. We see here that Abram responded to God with hope. And it's difficult here to tie hope to one aspect of Abram's response. But this is something that the New Testament writers pick up on. 
You see, in, in Hebrews 11, it notes that Abram was not looking forward to an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly one. And then we saw in Romans 4 that Abram hoped against all hope that God will fulfill his promises. See, the New Testament writers, they understand, understood that hope was evident in Abram's story. But not only was hope evident, as we look through the promises and the actions of Abraham, hope was a necessity. Certainly, Abram understood that he was never going to see God's promises fulfilled in his lifetime. I mean, the man is 75 years old. His wife is barren, and he's being promised that he'll be created into a great nation. Clearly, he was never going to see that happen. Certainly, he was never going to see his name be great, become great and be a blessing to all the families of all the earth. That had to have been a distant promise. And as we see here in our text, God is not even promising that he's going to give the land of the Canaanites to Abram. He said he's going to give it to his offspring. You see, he knew he was never going to own that land. But for Abram, he was looking beyond his lifetime. He was looking beyond the earthly promises. He was looking beyond the things that were evident before him, trusting, hoping, clear that in his mind, God would someday fulfill those promises. Even though from his earthly eyes, he would never see a single one of those promises fulfilled. And that's what hope is. Hope is looking beyond our current circumstances. Hope is looking beyond what our eyes can see. Hope is looking for something in the, in, the, in the distance and having an assurance that that thing will come to fruition. Hope is believing that what God promised will come true. And just like we are called to obey and have trust, we are called to have hope. And it doesn't matter what circumstances we're living in. It doesn't matter what our world or our country looks like. We are called to have hope. Because at the end of the day, our hope isn't resting in this world or this country. Our hope is resting in heaven. In an eternal kingdom that does not exist in this world, but is being brought to light to, our, to the Son, Jesus Christ. We are called to have hope. And just like Abram, God is calling us out of obscurity and expecting us to respond the same way that Abram did. See, what we see in the New Testament story is that Abram becomes the father of faith. And while his faith wasn't always perfect, well, he wasn't the first person to have faith, Abram set out on a journey not knowing what to expect. And as we see him wandering through the land in, in Shechem and Bethel and Ai and, and Negev, he seems like a man who is lost. Because God was asking him to be a sojourner in this world. A man without a home or a country. A man without a place to pitch his tent. A man wandering but wandering in a very clear direction. 
And just like him, we are called to wander through this world trusting God, obeying God, and leaning in in hope, faithful that God will fulfill his promises. And just like Abram, we are called to look beyond what we can receive in this earthly world and look to the distant future. You see, for Abram, the promises not only would not be fulfilled in his lifetime, but not in the lifetime of his children or his children's children or their children, not even in the lifetime of the nation of Israel. You see, the promises to Abraham were much farther down the line, past the days of Moses and David and Solomon and all the great kings and heroes of the ancient world. To 2,000 years ago, when the Son of God came to meet his people in the land that God showed Abram. It was through Jesus that these promises would ultimately be fulfilled. It was through Jesus that Abram's name would be made great. It was through Jesus that the nation of Israel would be made into a great nation. It's through Jesus that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And it's through Jesus that you are being called. God is calling you. And while God may bring us through jobs and and locations and activities and actions, Those aren't our ultimate destination. Our calling is to Jesus. The one who can fulfill all the promises. The one who is trustworthy. Not just because he lived a perfect life. But because he died on the cross and rose from the dead for you to fulfill those promises. What step of faith is God calling you to take today? Maybe God is calling you to live in obedience. Maybe God is calling you to pick up the word and follow what the Bible is saying and live in faithful action by obeying his word today. Maybe God is calling you to trust, to step out of where you're currently living and step into a new situation. Whether it's into a new job or uh, into college or a new career path or maybe even into marriage or a new family. What is God calling you to trust him in? Maybe God is calling you to hope. These past few years, we've been living in a very hopeless world. Have you lost hope? Or maybe you've set your hope in the wrong things. And God is calling you to set your trust in heaven. Or maybe God is calling you this morning to take that initial step of faith. To trust in Jesus. To leave your life behind. To repent of what you used to live in. And turn to the belovedness of the Son of God. I have to warn you, that's a big sacrifice. It means giving up everything you are and everything you have and turning your life aside. But oh, the promise of Jesus, the eternal life that we have in Christ. Oh, I urge you to turn to Jesus. Because this world may have 
nice things to offer, things that sound like they're valuable. There's nothing more valuable than Jesus. And the question this morning, the question that we have to ask ourselves is will you follow in faith? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your calling. God, why you would call us lowly, insignificant creatures is beyond my wildest imagination, but you are calling. God, give us the faith to follow, to obey you, to trust you, and to hope in you and you alone. God, give us the faith to lean in and accept Jesus. It's in your heavenly name I pray. Amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.